Well, good evening, everybody. Would you grab a Bible or a phone and swipe or turn to John chapter 15? John chapter 15. We're going to be there here in just a moment. Man, I hope your ears were open to hear what Pastor Kathy was saying, sharing, and praying. Because then we sing what she was sharing with us. This journey toward the cross. And we journey as people who are looking beyond the cross to the empty tomb. But we also have to do it in order. And this is what the thrust of her prayer was. This is what the thrust of this song was. And I think it's going to be the thrust, Lord willing, of our message this evening. This is one of my favorite passages of all of Jesus' teaching. It's one that I routinely come back to in prayer. It's one that our leaders at many retreats and meetings have returned to, to listen and to pray and to mull over. And it's the sixth in our series of seven statements where Jesus says, I am, then what? What were some of the I am's? The door, the bread of life. The way, the truth, and the life, the good shepherd, and the light of the world, yes? And at each step along the journey, two things are going on. Jesus is reinterpreting all of the Bible's symbolism, history, and stories, and hopes. And then he's reorienting all of it around himself. And that's what we're going to see him do tonight. Next week, Lord willing, I took them out of order because I got to save, I am the resurrection and the life for Easter. But as I was just talking about with Kathy's prayer, we've got to do these things in order. So as we've sung about, talked about, prayed about, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. But because we gather on Saturdays, we're observing it kind of tonight. And what Palm Sunday was, was when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, high on the waves of expectation of a king who would come and dismantle their enemy. So they thought he was going to come and make war against Rome. What Jesus was really coming to do was to go to war against the deeper, darker problems that had plagued all those people before Rome and after Rome. And that is sin and death and evil. And then the same crowd that shouts, Hosanna, save us, O God. When they realize that he's not come to save them in the way that they expected, they don't enthrone him as their king in some palace. They enthrone him on a cross. But again, we've got to go in order. So I hope this week, if you're a part of our church, you will join with Freeman Heights. You'll join with our neighbors in doing your own self-paced, reflective journey That Pastor Kathy and Robin Riddell, so y'all need to give a big shout out to Robin Riddell and a few others when you see her. They've set together for the third year our Stations of the Cross. Down this hallway, we're going to go on seven of the traditional stops in which we embody and get our heads right with the suffering and the love poured out on the cross. 
So instead of meeting in your neighborhood groups and homes, I hope you're coming up here between 5 and 8.30 to go at your own pace through this. Um, what we're doing is we might have some of our kids kind of off to the side or in the playground if the weather's nice uh, to make sure that everybody gets a chance to kind of go through this. Or if you can't make it Wednesday, would you come Friday? Many of you have school off and work off. We're going from 2 to 9, and as Amy said earlier, we're going to have a joint worship gathering Good Friday at 7 o'clock here with Freeman Heights, so you can come on either end of that too. And then I want everybody to say with me, no worship gathering Saturday. Let's say it. No worship gathering Saturday. We put this on our website. We tried to put it out there. But like some sweet person is going to show up in their Easter Sunday best while we're setting up in the gym on Saturday. And I got to go, sorry, we're not having church tonight. We're doing it tomorrow. Because I want you to say with me now, 1030 Easter Sunday. A.M. 10.30 Easter Sunday A.M. We ain't doing a good night service or a sunlight sunrise service. 10.30 A.M. in the ark. We're going to celebrate. It's a great time to bring uh, your friends, family, and neighbors. And all in due time, we've got to go through the journey toward the cross so that we can experience and celebrate as God's people together the risen tomb that changed everything. And it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have just nursery for Good Friday and for Easter Sunday. That's the plan right now. We want your kids to experience this with us. Uh, we're going to sing and celebrate. We'll have some coloring tables and all that good stuff. So that's this week ahead, Holy Week. So we're in John 15, yes? All right. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before all of this this week takes place before he goes to the cross. This is what he shares with his disciples. We're going to begin in verse 1 and go down to verse 8. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, which is not what I usually do, but it's on the screen if you want to follow along. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed or pruned by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's a way of saying that's all they're good for, really. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me by repeating these words silently in your heart? Jesus, abide in me as I abide in you. Jesus, abide in me as I abide in you. We've been running all over town today. But here we are. You've given us life and breath in your very presence. So we pray that we would stay awake to it, that we would lean in, that we might hear from you some invitation, 
not for some universal principle for 50 years from now, but for something 50 seconds from now, something this week. Because you've been longing to be gracious to us. So here we sit, perhaps for the first time this day, perhaps for the first time this week, and we ask that we would abide in you as you abide in us. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is springtime. It's not just Holy Week, it's springtime. So by show of hands, who of you are the green thumbs who are planting things around this time? I knew it. We got the, the brown garden. They've got a side yard that could like feed all of us if things go really bad. So they're planting stuff. Who else? Who's planting? Anybody? Yeah? If that makes sense. Brian? These outdoorsy folk type. Let me tell you this. This may surprise you. I do not have a green thumb on either of my hands or feet. I've attempted to try to like dig some stuff out and drop something in and then I water it for like a day or two and then I forget about it. And so when I talk to people about gardening and we even had like a big old planter one time in our old house and I'm like, man, why does, why does everything die? And it dawned on me, oh yeah, I don't tend the garden. This is the problem, is it not, gardeners? You can't just set it and forget it. It ain't the microwave or whatever. So the reason why all these things die is because I'm not tending to it. And so when Jesus says that he is the vine, his father is the gardener tending to all this stuff, and he says that we are the branches, there is this relationship in which if we stay connected to the source, if we have our roots in Jesus, God is going to tend to us. In order that what? The branches can do what they're made to do and bear fruit, right? It would be a pretty lousy garden if you went out there and said, yeah, this is this weed. Here's another weed. Here's this weed. Yeah, no fruit. No fruit in this garden. Sorry. I planted peppers and I get weeds. That's not a good garden. But it requires this relationship of tending and growth. And so we have these two branches. Y'all remember? What's the difference? One of them bears fruit. Others do not, right? So some branches are alive, some branches are not. And what he says is these ones that don't bear fruit, he removes them. Because frankly, they've kind of removed themselves from the whole process. And he says, what do you do with dead and dry wooden branches? Well, you do what anybody does. You gather it up and you, you use it to make a fire. So he's saying because they're not doing what they were intended to do. So to pull back from the metaphor, if we are the branches, we were made to grow and bear fruit. Let me put it this way. You were made to flourish. But like so many branches that you see in my house, when they're not tended to and not drawing on the life that God has, we begin to get overgrown, we begin to turn inward, and we begin to find ourselves disconnected from life, and we find ourselves dying just a little bit, day after day after day. So the question for us then is, do you want to grow and make a difference? Do you want to bear the kind of fruit that Jesus is speaking of? Well, the other question you could say is this, how does a disciple grow to look more like Jesus? Jesus says it very plainly. you got to stay connected to him. 
because he is our source of life. He says, I am the vine. You need to abide in me. We're going to talk about that word abiding here in just a moment. But before we leave our garden metaphor, I want you to know the reason why I planted stuff and it died is the same reason why you can pray a prayer 30 years ago and you can live just the same as you did then because you're setting it and forgetting it. I've told you many times in this church, in my previous church community and in my uh, position, I was meeting with people every single week and they'd say, you know, hey, I need to talk with you. I need to do this. I say, cool, tell me about your journey with Jesus. Y'all heard this. And they say, well, I was saved when I was seven. I said, great, you're 37. What's that tending, abiding relationship looks like? And I'm not explicitly looking for my Bible study and my quiet time. I'm looking for the dynamic, daily, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's hard life with Jesus. Because I want you to understand that abiding is not just a task to be completed. Growth is not just a task you complete and set and forget. Growth, abiding, bearing fruit is a relationship to tend This is the reason why we have people that have been a Christian for decades and they look very unlike Christ. Yet we have other people who have said, Jesus, I'm yours. And after three years, they bump into the people they used to know and they say, I swear this is not the same person. The difference between one branch and the other branch is that one is bearing fruit and fruit that lasts. Not because they tried harder and it's a task or something to accomplish, but it's a relationship that they tended to. You've got to stay connected to the source. Because there are no steroids or shortcuts for growing up into life like Christ. It's the daily relational maintenance. I have this on the slides. As with any relationship, it takes time and presence to develop it. Any relationship or any garden, it takes time and showing up. Our relationship with God is not a series of sprints then, but a daily step-by-step journey of learning to trust, love, and know the one who gives us life. That's what it looks like to stay connected to him. So Jesus, in the passage we just read, and what we're going to spend the rest of our time kind of unpacking, is these three words. It's this rhythm of growth. And it's abiding, and it's pruning, and it's bearing. Abiding, making your home, remaining, staying connected to Jesus. Pruning, letting God take away or surrendering to Him those things that prevent our flourishing. And then bearing is the fruit that we see later on in the passage. It's fruit that lasts. It's not just the kind of quick fix, this feels good, or I know something new and trendy. No, it's the kind of fruit that makes a difference in the world around you. It's fruit for others. And I want to tell you again, it's not a one-time, one-size-fix-all. It's this cycle, and it takes time. And you see the Trinity, Jesus, the Son, remaining... close to Him, His Word, and His way. The Father growing and forming and shaping us. And then the Spirit walking in Him, making a difference of probably the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, and peace, and patience. Why does Jesus give us this rhythm? Well, the hint is that the final words He's sharing with His disciples because they are about to go through it. How many of you have had a season in the last calendar year 
that you look around and you say, how am I going to make it? Or is it just me? Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's been a year and you're still in it. But he's sharing these words because he wants us to make it through the seasons of trials and sufferings that have, will, or are coming. He says this because he wants them, he wants us to bear lasting fruit that will change the world. And so we're going to look at this rhythm of abiding and pruning and bearing. But first, look back with me and see that Jesus first says, I am the true vine. And I want to give you a quick background because, as I said at the beginning of this talk, every I am statement that we've been seeing is Jesus saying, basically, here's some old symbol that you know very well. Here's this little pet symbol that you thought you had all figured out. And I'm going to tell you that that symbol has been pointing to me, and I am the truest revelation of it. And so I want you to know that the vine in the vineyard was not invented by Jesus. What he was doing was taking a well-worn symbol that he had heard forever. Think of some of the symbols in our culture, right? We have like a bald eagle in our American culture. We have this idea of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It would be as if Jesus said, I am the true life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. This is what he's doing when he's showing up with these Jewish folks, with all their expectations, with all their well-worn phrases and propaganda and banner things. Jesus takes the very words of Scripture in this case. If you write down Isaiah 5, write down Psalm 80, and you could basically go through half the prophets and find some metaphor or story about a vine in a vineyard. God planted a vine. He did the whole careful thing like my sister-in-law did and she showed us yesterday. He boxed out where where he's going to grow this thing. And he said, what I'm going to grow is my people and it's a vine called Israel. And then in Psalm 5 he says, but when I come back, you know what I find? After I did everything for them, they didn't bear good fruit. They bore some wild and crazy grapes. Anybody got some wild and crazy grapes that y'all been bearing in your life? I know I have. And if you say that their names of your children, that those are your wild grapes that you bore, God bless you. You're being real. (laughs) But what's going on with this well-worn symbol is that he said, here's the problem. I wanted you to make good fruit that changed the world, but the problem is you created some crazy, funky grapes. And this was such a powerful symbol that you see in our gospel readings in Lent and otherwise that Jesus will say, hey, here's a vineyard. But guess what? When God sends somebody to check on it, they beat him up and then kill him. So he's telling stories about the vine in the vineyard. And then this week in Holy Week, when Jesus goes into the temple, I bet you he saw the 90-foot golden vine that hung up in the temple. And you know that rich Jewish business folks, I've never, I've heard and prayed and read this passage forever, and I had never heard that there was a 90 foot long golden vine that they made, and that rich Jewish folks would burn down some of their gold to add on grapes like we do for plaques and those kinds of legacy projects, to continue to show how they're bearing fruit. But the only fruit they're bearing is this golden symbol where God has for generations said, you missed it and you haven't borne good fruit. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, I am the true vine, what he wants them to understand is there's a lot of false ones. Is there not a lot of false sources of life and purpose that we attach ourselves to? 
Israel found their hope in being a strong nation, having a king like everybody else, going their own way. It produced bad fruit. How about us? We want the nicest job. We want the nicest house. We want to find our life and purpose in all kinds of false vines that bring good fruit for a season, but it's not the lasting fruit that will get you the growth and transformation that God has designed for you. And here's the thing, that these are good things, right? Is it good to have a house and be provided for and to have a good source of income where you're doing good things? Shake your head, yes, of course. But the problem is, they were never the ultimate thing. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. You've got to stay connected to me because when you go and find your life in this, when it's gone, what happens? But if you're a branch that is connected to me, then you have the life and the love you need to flourish. My life and purpose is being a mom or being a husband or all of these things. Yes, good. Better to be those things connected to the vine that will let you love and care for and serve the way that Jesus meant you to do it. Because later he'll say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, wait, wait, wait. No, I can do a lot of good stuff. I do work, I love my kids, I'm a good friend. People in the world apart from Jesus, can they do good things? Shake your head, yes. But the kind of fruit and the kind of life that God has for us is the kind of kingdom life that is only possible and capable with this tending of the relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Jesus says, what you need to do is stay connected to me, the source of life. I've danced around this word, but I want to drill it home now. When Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you, what he means is this kind of remaining, staying put, dwelling, or making our home in. It's you've gone and searched and done this or that or the other. You've drank and drugged and fill in the blanks your whole life, but then you find the nice, beautiful campground of Jesus, and you say, this looks nice, I'm going to put my tent here, and God help me, I don't want to pack up and leave. Because this is where the life is the Greek word is meno it's a way of saying like I'm here and I'm rooted I chose the NRSV because I love that word abide more than remain because abiding is like this is my abode you with me but let me tell you that the vineyard of our culture does not value abiding or remaining, or staying put, does it? We move houses. We switch jobs. We switch churches. We've got to constantly be moving like some kind of shark, or we get fired. Our whole culture values this rhythm of driven success and utter numbing out disengaging. This is the rhythm. And Jesus offers us a better way. He says in rest and prayer to stay rooted in Jesus' word and Jesus' way. It's this all-encompassing word of saying, don't drift too far away from me. Keep your hand touched on base because when you get too far off, you're going to fall into that rhythm that doesn't value abiding and you're going to burn out and you're going to die because he's the source of life. And again, I want to say this Word, again, to abide is not a task to accomplish, but it's a relationship to tend. Because Jesus says, look, 
Apart from me, you can do all these good things like I was talking about, but really it's nothing of lasting transformational value. And he says, and if you abide in me later, do y'all remember this crazy thing we read? Ask and it will be done for you. I had a question in our Lent reading this past week about this crazy teaching on Jesus with prayer. And he talks about these wild things about, you know, if you believe you've received it, ask. And we say, whoa, there's such a disconnect in our life. Because I've asked for a bunch of stuff and I still ain't a millionaire. But I think it finds its home in John 15 because he says, if you abide in me. Because if you're touched and you've made your home right here with Jesus, you begin to see the kinds of things you should be asking for. And man, this is how I've had to learn to pray. Because I want to pray my will into so many people. And so many situations. But the more I find myself making my home and staying close, the more I begin to see things through Jesus' life. One of our core practices, this was a question we had in our Lenten reading this past week, was you know, following Jesus and loving neighbor, growing disciples, creating space and bringing peace. Which one do you feel like you need to tend to? And let me tell you, church... I've had two pastors this week ask me about my people, you all, and our church. And I say, dude, they are running on fumes. And I said, and I think you asked me that question six months ago, and I said the same thing. Because there is this frenetic pace of life that doesn't value abiding. It values driven success and numbing out. And what does it look like for you to create just enough space to have some healthy disengagement to work from a place of rest rather than to work until you crash land back asswards into rest? And yeah, I said what I said. Because how many times do we need to talk about this? How many times do I need to hear this from you all? How many times are we going to finally get that Jesus doesn't just say it, he modeled it? Because you know who is busy? Jesus. I have never seen a crowd following you and asking you to fix them. And you know what? Jesus regularly got up and went to be with his father. And I can hear it and I can see it. And do you know, I am so restless every day. I am so hard-pressed and restless to rest with him. And so we look at Isaiah 30. Because this is not just our problem. It's God's people's problem for centuries. He says, we're going to flee and we're going to figure it out. We're going to take horses. We're going to just go and fix it. We're going to throw money at it. And he says, no, in repentance and rest is your salvation. We still don't understand it. I still don't understand it. And so I think about this way of In my own life, like when I'm so disconnected from him, I realize, well, I've not been abiding. Why am I so short with Amy right now? Why am I so flustered and anxious and agitated? I can always point back to the fact that I picked up my tent and I've moved it somewhere over here. And Jesus is waiting for me saying, in repentance and rest is your salvation. And so the question that I've wrestled with this week, because I've got to really, I think the first step is awareness. Where in your life do you feel restless? In your prayer life? I know a lot of us have struggled to read our Lenten Bible reading. Like, perhaps it will help 
to grab one of these bookmarks and say, you know, I don't care if you haven't read it like all Lent. I really don't. Um, I, I want you to, I, I hope, but I'm not going to like give you a failing grade in church, okay? Because what I care about is that you're resting well, not just checking off a box because we said let's read this. But would you maybe consider like if I really have been restless in my prayer life, perhaps it's because there's not been a lot of structure. Well, this week is Holy Week and you can go and pray the stations. You can have a Good Friday service and then you cannot come to church on Saturday. Everybody say, we're not going to church on Saturday. And then you can celebrate Easter because perhaps for seven days you might commit to reading what we're all reading and praying together. Because perhaps you're like me and it is so hard. I'm a pastor. Hello. It's hard for me. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that it's hard. When you got kids and work and job and you guys are waking up early and you're commuting and you're doing all this stuff, it's hard. Are you restless in your relationships? You feel like there's not really this give and take, this mutuality, and you know you feel like kind of drained. In your downtime, are you numbing out or are you fully present and engaged? One of the reasons our vineyard is so difficult is because we carry around that phone that provides us ample reasons to not abide but to swipe. In your family, are you fully present with them are you just crash landing after a long day? In your time with your devices, in your work, are you flourishing? Because Jesus, I think, can help you in your job. Dallas Willard said to, that to be a disciple is to choose to do what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. What does Jesus look like as a Spectrum employee? What does Jesus look like at T.I.? What does Jesus look like in the medical field? What does Jesus look like as a teacher? What does Jesus look like as a stay-at-home parent? What does Jesus look like doing and selling and saying and relating in your place? Do you feel restless in your acquiring of stuff? Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this will help. Jesus is the only place we can really draw our life. And if you feel restless, I really believe that these are the places in which we struggle, are the places that we've got to move from avoidance and saying maybe it'll just go away sometime and take those into an abiding relationship with Jesus. Let me say it another way. What does it look like for you to move from striving to abiding? Because in repentance and rest is your salvation. And Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. You kept trying and trying and trying and nothing seems to be fixing and transforming. Have you been abiding? Don't avoid the problem. Don't avoid the restlessness. I talked to Keith Keesler yesterday and this phrase he said like three times. I can't get out of my head. He said, hug the cactus. Shalom, friend. Hug the cactus. That's my Keith Keesler impression. And that's his way of saying like embrace the difficult and the struggle. We need to be aware of it. We need to surrender it. We need to allow Jesus to gift us with this life acceptance and the deep rest where we've only felt restlessness before. Let me say that again. We need to be aware of it. We need to surrender it. Then we need to allow Jesus to gift us with the life acceptance and deep rest where we've only felt restlessness before. I've been feeling restless, my friends. Would you join me in trying to abide with him? That's the first bit 
of the rhythm. And I think that's really the only active bit that we have any say in, which is why I spent more time on it. But this second part of this rhythm of growth to flourish in our life is pruning, is that of pruning. And that's less active and that's more reactive, allowing ourselves to be worked on. And the reason why it has to start with abiding is nobody's ever had surgery driving 60 miles down 75 in a surgical table and gown while the surgeon is trying to cut you open. You know what I mean? It's just, it's like the dumbest illustration in the world. But I'm trying to get the point of sometimes the only way to be worked on is when you sit down long enough for him to do his work. So to move back into our gardening, vine metaphor that Jesus is reinterpreting and reorienting, I've been thinking about this rose bush that we've got left hanging on in our front yard. One of them is like totally died. It's been gathered up and burned because it wasn't connected to whatever source was down there. And I wasn't a good gardener like God tending it. But we have this other one and I was looking at it this afternoon as I was writing it down some notes. And I'm seeing that here's what happens with rose bushes. Two things. It overgrows and it begins to turn in on itself. When the roses bloomed, I realized that they had so little elbow room because it had overgrown way bigger than it could support. And then it began to turn in on itself and block itself, its fruit, the roses, if you will, from the source of light. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, I have a parable in my front yard. On one side of the sidewalk is the one that has withered and died. And on the other side is one that needs pruning so it can live. Because the problem with pruning is it hurts and it's painful. And Jesus doesn't explicate totally what the pruning process looks like. But we can infer that it's some sense of loss. And I want to say this. I think if we extrapolate that into our life with God, know that the branches that get pruned are the ones that are alive. So that means it's part of our life with God. And I think that you're going to have to lose some of that. But you're also going to have to surrender some of that. Can I, can I just leave that, let that hang there? Do you understand when I say there are things in your life that you're just going to lose and you have no say over? And then there's also things that you're going to have to hand over, and that's the surrender. I just want to let that hang there because I don't want to over-explain it because Jesus really doesn't. But I think when we look at that rose bush, I think about why we're so drained and tired. It's because we've overgrown and we're too busy to rest. I remember an anecdote from two of the great theologians of uh, the Reformation, Martin Luther and then later on, much later on, John Wesley. They both had similar stories of like, I am so busy today that I've got to wake up two hours earlier to pray twice as much. I'm kind of butchering it, but there's this anecdote that these two giants of faith and prayer realized that they were too busy not to abide. So for those of you who think, dang, I'm doing it wrong, I haven't prayed a whole four hours elapsed this week, what does it look like for you this week to abide in such a way where as you're going through your day, you can pray what we prayed earlier, abide in me as I abide in you. 15.4, highlight it, underline it, abide in me as I abide in you, Jesus. Apart from you, I can do nothing. 
Jesus is reminding us, as you go into your work, as you go into this, perhaps you don't need to pray for four hours. Perhaps you need to pray for 40 seconds the next time you talk to that person. What does it look like? Some of our schedules do need some serious pruning because otherwise we're turning in on ourselves. And and this is what happened with Israel. They were too self-focused and they weren't producing good fruit for others. So we got this big gnarly rose bush. We got to lose some of it. We got to surrender some of it. And somebody told me years ago, dude, you got to prune that thing. And I said, dude, it's like November. When do these things grow? He goes, no, you need to prune it before the season it blooms. And I was like, that is so obvious. And this is why I'm so bad at gardening. Because if it was this gnarled, mangled mess of hello, schedule and whatever, when the season comes where your world and life and people need the transformative, flourishing light and fruit that are yours in Jesus Christ to make a difference, when the time comes when it matters and you're needed and the works that God has prepared for you that you are to walk in when it's needed most... You can't just drum it up apart from staying connected to the vine and being pruned and ready. And it dawned on me that sometimes God wants to clear the way first because when we step into those seasons like the winters of our lives that are so difficult, we're finally able to see him clearly because he's been able to clear away the brush and dead mess in order that we might see him clearly. Because otherwise, when you hit the rails and everything is falling apart, you still have this stuff that you've not surrendered. And you won't find him. Even though he's been there to be found all along. So the deal with pruning, I believe, is that more than just surrendering things some of the time, pruning involves surrendering myself. Laying myself out there saying, search me, God, know me. And then trusting that God knows what I really need to see him more clearly and be more fully alive. But it hurts, so we want to bail. God's cut us open, whatever that looks like. He's beginning to extract the tumor. And we say, nope, this hurts, sew me back up, and you roll off the table. What happens six months later? They're gone. But it hurts. It's so hard. God, you must not love me. I think he wants to say, I'm doing this because I love you. Because I know that this is going to kill you. And here's the thing that we've said so much, and I know this is true, because when it comes down to doing the hard work, know that it's hard because it's against the grain of so much dysfunction that we've lived in for decades. So let me say this, like one counseling session can't fix it. One meeting with the pastor can't fix it. One meeting with your friend can't fix it. But a relationship to tend with God and others over a long journey in the same direction versus a series of sprints and the steroids we keep trying to take, that's why this community matters. That's why we need to keep showing up. We need to keep reminding ourselves to come back and make our home in Jesus. And here's what that looks like and here's what it it is. But it's hard and it hurts and I want to bail. And you say, no, 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 remember last time. Remember last time? Let's go back. I think we can help each other prune. And I want to say this. 
God doesn't always cause the hard stuff, but I tell you, he'll never waste it. God may not cause all the loss and hardship in your life, but he will never waste it. I don't believe that an angry God killed Jesus on Friday, but he did not waste it. I believe that all the darkness and forces of the world pooled together to murder God himself in the flesh. And they thought they won, and for Saturday it felt like it, but he didn't waste it. He renewed Jesus, who is the promise of the world that will be renewed. He won't waste this or our bodies or our suffering either. He's going to wipe away the tears. He won't waste it. He's going to redeem it. So we know how much better it is having gone through the difficulty. What you are enduring right now in this pruning process will not be wasted, and it will produce better fruit in the next season. And so finally, that final rhythm is this idea of bearing fruit. The problem with the grapes is that when we try to rush it and you try to take it too soon, it's not the kind of fruit that lasts. But the grapes that have gone through the wind and the waves and the elements and the pruning, they become the most richest and vibrant fruits. And I want you to understand two things about fruit is number one, you can't force it. Love, 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 boop. It's generated from the source that comes out of you naturally the more you walk in step with the Spirit. This is the teaching of Paul in Galatians when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean when we're bearing fruit? Jesus didn't explain this fully either. But we can infer that it's the kinds of good works and the good characteristics of what it looks like to be my disciple, he says later. Because my Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and then you become my disciple. This is what it looks like. And so the kind of bearing, you can't force it, but you can yield yourself to him enough, draw enough life from the source that it manifests in your life. The second thing I want you to know about fruit is that it ain't for you. It's for others. All those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are things that need an other to really flesh itself out. When I was at the church I was at previously, a young man texted me one time and said, dude, we are really, really struggling trying to follow Jesus in some of the ways, like, I'm trying to handle lust. Can you give me some verses? Because I'm like, you know, I'm not in, I, I don't feel like it's God's ideal to be sleeping with all these different people. I said, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, that's good. And so, um, so what happened is he says, so give me some verses. And I said, yes, sure, let's do it. And I texted him John 15, 1 to 11. And then I see the little iPhone. And he goes, sorry, dude, I think that was a typo. I was like, dude, that's where it's got to start. Not because I'm awesome or wisdom, but when I was dealing with struggles just like him, I realized that focusing on the sin and the not doing it and trying to bear fruit myself didn't work as well as trying to stay connected to the source and let the fruit come through my relationship, I've tended with him. But we've got to abide. We've got to allow God to prune us in order that we might bear fruit that lasts. Can I give you one last real-life story? I want to give you a quote and a question and be done. This is an obtuse story because I'm barely on the other side of it. Because I want to tell you how much pruning has been so unwelcome and difficult in my life. Because for two years, there was this relationship that was like a hell on earth. And I realized I was doing it wrong. 
I was trying to produce my own fruit because I'm a pastor and I got this and whatever and people, yeah, cool. And I was doing it wrong. And so what happened was I printed out one day this passage in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I put it on my wall next to a couch in my office where I pray and talk to people on the phone a lot of the time. And so I put it there because when I was on the phone with this person, I was living in this difficult place where God was trying to give me opportunities to surrender my mouth and the words that I say that I was not taming, try to surrender my need to retaliate, which I was not surrendering to him, my need to be right no matter the cost, rather than to speak truth and love, which I was not giving to him. All of these things that he was trying to prune and clip so that I could bear better fruit. And I sat down and I would read this, paste it, it's still there in my office, because I still stink at this. He says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. When I was praying early, I realized Jesus was abiding in the Father who will make it right. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep. Look at this. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. Because for two years, I was doing it wrong, doing it myself. And God, through his pruning, sat my hiney down on the couch with this verse of scripture. And I stared laser beams into it. And I said, abide in me as I abide in you. Because apart from you, I will light this person up. And I'm telling you now, not because of me, but because of him, our family, this relationship is seeing a good fruit of peace and a better fruit of health that we could not force and fix on our own. Alan Fadling, our friend, wrote in The Unhurried Life, talking about maturity and growth, which is the question that we began our evening with. What does it mean to grow in Christ? It means staying connected to the source. Alan Fadling writes this. Maturity is the fruit of a long and focused journey toward realizing that everything good can only be truly enjoyed in the only one who is truly good. The ability to be, excuse me, the ability to more fully abide in Jesus and appreciate every good blessing is unhurried fruit of a believer's journey toward wholeness. Friends, you are on a journey toward wholeness. Friends, you are on a journey of flourishing. 
Because God wants to shape you and mold you into a fruit-bearing person that transforms your neighborhood and your family and your life and your workplace and your world. He wants you to bear fruit that will last, not just in the short term, but will make kingdom impact through the long term. But we've got to hear his invitation. So the question I'll close with is, what do you think Jesus might be inviting you to tonight? What does it look like for you this week? I don't care about the rest of your life. Let's try this week because it's a long journey anyway. Where are those places? He's saying, you've been so restless. Would you abide with me and let's work it out? Quit trying to avoid it. Let's hug the cactus. Let's embrace it. Let's lean into it because I want to meet you there in that place. Because then that might lead you to another invitation. In what place do you feel like you need to surrender to him to be pruned? Because it's killing you, it's draining you, it's preventing you from the life of service and love and self-control and all those things. You've been trying to white-knuckle it. Move from striving to abiding. What does it mean for you? And then ultimately, the fruit that he produces that you couldn't force, celebrate the good things that God's brought in this season. And let's close in this prayer. Lord Jesus, abide in me as I abide in you. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. Amen. Would you remain standing for the blessing? May the love of the faithful creator, the peace of the wounded healer, the joy of the challenging spirit, the hope of the three in one, surround and encourage you today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Love has set you free.